Hello, and welcome to episode 59 of Craft, Cook, Read, Repeat, a conversation about crafting food and books. I'm Monica. And I'm Courtney. Today is Thursday, February 18th, 2021. A big thank you to all of our listeners, both old and new. We hope this podcast will continue to be something you put on repeat. How's it going, Courtney? Pretty good. How are you? Not too bad. I seem to have managed to be able to do the introduction now after two and a half after years. 58 attempts yes <laughs> i think 60 so is a fun milestone yeah we're coming up on it yeah next time very exciting totally we're not there yet first we will do this episode which will feature on the needles on the easel on the table and on the nightstand and courtney was telling me before we started recording that she has so many interesting things so i am I am ready to hear. I have a few, a few, a few good things as well. We'll see what you guys think. So on the needles, many finished objects, which I was not exactly expecting, but such, such is life. Finished my throwover sweater by Andrea Mowry. Wow. Already? Yes. So that is, that is two sweaters by the middle of February. So I'm pretty impressed with myself. Extraordinary. Yeah. Actually, this one I did think I would finish. I had gotten all of the tricky part done. This is the color work one with the chevrons, I guess they are at the top in three different colors. And then the main body of the sweater is this lovely dark navy. And the yarn is Madeleine Tosh vintage and the, the navy colorway is nocturne. It's so beautiful. But I spent most of a weekend working on color work and then it was just stockinette in worsted weight. So it went quite quickly. You know, I could do it when I was watching TV or if I had a Zoom meeting or something, then it was, that was what got pulled out. So that, that made it go pretty quickly. Um, so I was really pleased. I wore it the next day after I finished it and wove in all the ends. Uh, and then I blocked it. So it is currently blocking. It has not been super, well, <laughs> relatively not super warm here. Wet wool is not drying very quickly in my house. So it has been sitting drying for, I think we're on day three now. We're down to slightly damp. So <laughs> someday I will be able to take good pictures. Although I think it's going to rain this weekend. So I'm not sure when I will get glamour shots of it, but at some point I will, and I will post those. But yeah, it's super comfy. It fits really well. I'm super excited. I was slightly worried that when I blocked it, uh, soaked it in the water, the blue would might bleed onto the white. So I was kind of keeping an eye on that because that would have been I mean, I guess not disastrous. Two shades of light blue would be okay, but I would be a little sad. But it seems to have worked out okay. I think I got it out of there soon enough. So, so yeah, so that's another sweater. All done. It's so, so fast, Monica. I mean, I know it was worsted and... Yeah, no, I. there are many reasons why it was fast, but I do still... I am still kind of impressed with myself. Good. As Definitely improving be. my sweater knitting skills. So, So that was good. And then I also finished my wayward socks, which are the super crazy cable-y red ones that I was talking about that I thought would I would be working on forever. And you asked me how long it would take me to finish, and apparently two weeks. Are they on your feet right now? They're not on my feet right now. I guess also they could blocking. Be. They are not <laughs> blocking. I need to take pictures of them, and I just haven't done that either. It's been a hard time for photography. It was super cloudy over the weekend, and then now it's been nice, but... I don't have anybody available for picture taking during the daylight hours. So those are another ones that have not been 
photographed. But it was interesting because once I kind of got into the pattern, it started going much more quickly. And it's very, I want to say potato chippy because it's, you know, you can see the ripples. Yeah. <laughs> or is that what you're? No, potato, so, you um, so like you just want to do one more row, one more row, one more row, oh, just one oh, more row, oh, like eating potato. Yes, that's the <laughs> word I'm looking for. Well, you, yeah. Yeah, that's so my that's my advice right there. <laughs> yeah. So these the Wayward Socks by Cookie A, the yarn is Alicia Goes Around Richness of Martin's Fingering Weight in Genevieve, which as I said is a red. And it is a merino cashmere silk blend. So they are lovely. And these are the ones I started in February 2012 and then pulled out of the, the bin of mystery or the drawer of mystery. And I think I figured out why I stopped because my guess is that sock madness started happening. If I started them in February, sock madness usually begins March 1st. Have we talked about sock madness before? Um, we went to the sock summit. True, that is different. <laughs> so sock madness is... Oh, uh, March, like March madness? Like March madness, yes. So it is online knitting competition. And there are many of them out there. This one has been going on for... Uh, this is going to be Sock Madness 15, so for a while. And I did it pretty heavily for about eight years. And then I just I got tired of speed knitting socks every March and April and May. And so I took a couple of years off. And then this year I was like, I mean, I got nothing else going on. Let's speed knit some socks. <laughs> so it's really, it's a fabulous competition. They put you into teams based on your knitting speed. So people who are really, really fast and can knit a pair of socks in a day will be on a team and that people who are newer knitters or newer sock knitters are on a team. So you're competing against people of similar how, how do you get, wait, How do you get ranked? Is you this tell, like you honors, honor yeah. system? Okay. Well, I mean, a lot of people repeat it. So they, you know, they know what level you're at. You're on a team, but it's not, I mean, it's competitive, but it's not like people have mailed each other, like mailed teammates supplies so that they could finish a sock. You know, like, so you're, you helping people out, you're giving advice. There's craziness, prizes. I mean, prizes go to people who finish first, but also because you do something nice, like send somebody beads so that they can finish their sock. Or there was a team in the Netherlands that they all knit their socks in orange yarn in honor of Queen's Day and they all got prizes because that was super fun so it's it's kind of it's madness so it's a little more fun and crazy than your usual and the sock patterns are usually they start off simple-ish and get progressively more complicated so the the penultimate round is kind of the round where you get first place in your team and then the final round is where all the team winners compete against each other. So that one is, you kind of know it's going to go to one or two people who really are the fastest, usually from some Scandinavian country. So the penultimate round kind of winning your team would be the super exciting one. And the first year I did it, there were four teams of like 30 people each. And now it's up to, gosh, I mean, 20 teams of 40 people. I think they're up to like a thousand participants. So it's madness. It's, it's madness. It's madness. It's total madness. So the point being, it starts March 1st. You sign up there in February. It starts March 1st. And they don't tell you when it's going to start exactly. They'll give you a 48-hour window. And so you just have to wait and refresh and wait for the email to come. 
very exciting. But so I suspect that is why I stopped because once March hit, I would have just been doing sock madness socks and little tiny cables would not have been good. Yeah. Yeah. Little time consuming. Yes. So it is good that I got it done in February and because yeah, I would not want to be doing it in March still. So those are done. I did another snap hat and I am 95% done with a fourth one, fifth one, fifth one, both in blues. I think it's called snap because it's a snap to do, not because there is a snap. There was some confusion about that in a conversation that I had with someone. Hello, someone, you know who you are. Although I have to Uh say when we were first talking about it, I thought maybe you would like put a snap on the top and snap on that pom-pom because I've seen that in like retail. Yeah, that is very handy. Yeah, for washing and all kinds of reasons, but or like change out the pom-pom. Feel like the fur today, you know? Yeah, Yeah. or maybe you're not feeling like a pom-pom. Who would never not feel like a pom-pom? Well, that is a good point. That's a very good point. Yeah. Anyway, so, carry on. But yeah, it's not. It's just a snap to knit. I think I need to switch out my yarn color so that I don't totally use up all my blues. I feel like you do need to have a rainbow of leftover bits for things like sock madness when you need 20 grams of fingering weight yarn and you don't want to bust open a whole new skein. And I do like blue. So we've got that. And I, <laughs> I spent an afternoon, not even a whole afternoon, once I signed up, I was like, oh, I've got to see what solid color skeins I've got. Because they tell you what uh, yarn you'll need and other supplies. Like, do you need beads? Ooh, which reminds me, there was a lot of beads. I need to check my bead supply. So I went through and like went through Wait, my stash. I have a ton of beads. What do you use? I don't know. I have to look. There's different. There's a couple different sizes. And I think there was one that it was like, you need 1,500 six millimeter beads or something. And I was like, oh. that's. I might so, have some. Yeah, I, I definitely have some beads in various colors. I just need to see what I have and what else I need, but I will probably check back. But yeah, I spent a happy half hour just going through my stash, pulling out single skeins in solid colors and, oh, this might work for this and this might work for this. And that was fun. And then I started another sweater because why wouldn't I? That's what I'm doing this year, apparently. So this is, I'm going to pronounce it Sean by Elizabeth Doherty and it's spelled S-I-A-N. So she and not sure. I'm not sure. Yeah. It just came out two weeks ago, I think. So I am just diving right in. It's a DK wet sweater with a yoke and a mosaic knitting, which is color work. So you use two colors, but you're only ever using one color at a time. So the throwover, I was using two or occasionally three colors on one row. This one you knit with one row, you knit like two rows. Down and back. This one, yeah, yeah, this one you knit, well, you're knitting in a circle. So you'll knit and slip and knit, knit and slip. And then usually the next row you'll just knit and then you switch colors. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can make some really amazing patterns with that. And that is kind of an A-line sweater and it's in DK weight. And I went into my stash and I found DK weight yarn from Three Irish Girls. And these colorways that had come as a set and were meant to work together for color work. So the main color is Gatsby, which is this pale blue. And then the other one, the contrast is Art Deco, which is uh, light pinks and grays. So there won't be any color overlap. The blue and the gray get a little bit close sometimes, but I think it'll be okay. And I've had them, 
I forget how long I've had them for, but it's been a while. So that was kind of exciting. And I, I do think I have enough. There's enough in the skeins. And usually those skeins are a little bit overweight, which is nice. Um, so I should have even a little bit extra. So I haven't gotten too far because the mosaic knitting, I do need to pay attention to what I'm doing. So it's not really TV knitting because there's yarn overs and slipping stitches and you slip one stitch too many and then your whole count gets off and then you have to go back and undo two rows and ask me how I know that. So, <laughs> um, but I'm still excited about it. And I think it'll be nice. It's, it's kind of pastel-y. So it's a little different from what I usually knit with. And I think it'll be nice if I can finish it up for kind of a springtime sweater when it's still a little chilly, but you don't want something wintry looking. Yeah. So I'm excited about that. I was digging around in the drawer of mystery, but I think I'm going to hold off on pulling anything out since I do have sock madness coming up. Yeah, that sounds time intensive. <laughs> yeah, but in short bursts a little bit. So you have two weeks to finish a pair of socks and then everyone moves on. And it's like March Madness. So you have two weeks and the top, whatever, 25 people move on, finishers. So yeah, so we'll, we'll see how that all goes. Guess what is today's 18th? So it should have started by the next time we record. So we might have to push it back a few days. <laughs> I'm in the middle of knitting. Fair enough. And then y'all can hear about it. So although oh actually the first one will only the first one will be the qualifying round. This is like as complicated as March Madness brackets at this point now. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. All right. What is on the easel? Well, before I get to the easel, I do want to say a knitting, a giant knitting shout out to Stephanie, who's in Sonoma. Okay. Um, she has been so encouraging of me getting back into the knitting and she sent me a gorgeous handful of patterns. And one of them I am considering, but I haven't been to the yarn shop yet from Maryland knitting. And it's this gorgeous shawl called cloud break. Oh my gosh. I love it. It's like sort of like rainbow triangles with on an oatmeal field. It's just really gorgeous. But I have to say a lot of her shawls are pretty fantastic. And so I'm having trouble deciding, but I just want to put it out there that I have been considering picking up the needles. Um, we have given up our TV. So that means that I don't have like TV knitting time. And instead I've been doing a lot of drawing and painting which I'm not sharing so much. Is it Cloud Break by Melanie Berg? Mm -hmm. Yeah, she's very well known and has lots, sure. of great, lots of great patterns. I think she's having a sale right now too. So um, although I don't know that it will still be happening when we publish. However, I'm really appreciative that people are looking out. Stephanie is looking out for my knitting well-being. And I have been wearing my color love shawl nice. like when I go and do my walks my scarf so excellent there's that okay oh, is that, oh that's a new pattern too the cloud break yeah it's really beautiful isn't it it is it's oh yeah oatmeal colored and then rainbow sort of stripes yeah I really like it it's yeah. beautiful but I also like a lot of her other patterns yeah and, you know I'm, a lot of good I have to I have to really make a decision I guess Anyway, yes, art, art. Okay. This is going to get slightly 
ambiguous <laughs> or it's this is not the most concrete thing that I've had to say about art, but bear with me. So I thought I had this whole vision for the 100 day project. And within a week, the wheels fell off because, and I'm only just now able to begin to articulate this, but the reason why I had moved into the dry media was because I was trying to make marks and atmosphere in pieces that I wasn't able to get with gouache. So there was the technical side of it. And then when I was working on the people and even not even the stuff that I posted, but the characters, they just weren't coming out the way I wanted them to, to look. They were sketchy and illustrative and that's so fine, but I just had this vision in my head and really the story wasn't about the people at all. And all of a sudden the people were the focus and I had to just let go of the whole thing. And this is where I'm at, which is such a 180. People are going to have whiplash sort of, if you've been following along for any amount of time, bear with me. In my head, I am often trying to depict not just the scene of something, but how it how it feels or the emotion behind it. And, and I know that sounds crazy because I paint a lot of tea kettles and typewriters, but that's because that for me, they are nostalgic. Like they make me think of my grandparents. So I have been reaching for a long time to try to figure out how to paint that, that kind of, not just the nostalgia, but the feelings and the, that the fleeting stuff of different time, different places, different people without painting a portrait or a tea kettle. This is my way of saying I am headed into abstraction, which is a big, scary word for some people. And I know that because I live with some people who are like, what? <laughs> and don't understand unless I try to explain it. And so I feel like I'm going to be a little bit of an abstract ambassador because I did a big deep dive recently about abstract art, the history of it. And I had learned all of this in art history classes, my entire schooling, color and color perception and what it does to your eye and these colors next to each other. And they produce a vibration and and people playing with that, and then artists playing with abstract landscapes and morphing figuratives, and they were doing their own type of abstraction. And I really, I know it's out there. I know what I'm trying to do is in the art world, but right this minute, I don't even want to see it because I have in my head this picture of what I want to paint. And I have been painting every single day with fervor to try to get at least a nugget of what I'm, what's in my head out. And it's really, I'm painting feelings, which is so weird to say out loud to somebody who isn't seeing what I'm doing. You know, I know that I haven't been sharing any of this because it is, for lack of a better word, terrifying but awesome. 
Thank you. Thank you. I feel like I feel a lot. That's the bottom line. I That's true. Am a, yeah, I am a super emotional person. I walk around this world sort of inside out. You know, I really... I just, that's how I process the world. And I am surprised that it's taken me this long to realize that that's how I needed to paint. But I I can't even tell you that huge shift that I am experiencing. And this doesn't mean that I'm going to stop painting figurative objects or landscapes or seascapes or representational art, I just feel like I need to explore this vein of myself in order to go back to how I was painting before. I need to take this detour, and it is so scary. <laughs> However, Sounds exciting, though. Um, right? Yeah, I, mean, I wish you I don't... could think of a different word from scary and terrifying, <laughs> because I'm really excited about it but it's also way more vulnerable than painting anything else that I've ever painted. Yeah, it's new. If I look back at chapbooks and even my 100 Joyful Things, that project I attempted last year, I'm always searching for the feeling behind an object or the the story conveying the feeling. I've always been trying to do that, and now I feel like this is essentializing what I've been striving to do. It might take me months to make the, it's not even an image really, but to make the feeling appear visually for other people to see. I have gone through so much paint in the past few days and I'm not even using gouache right now, which is even more shocking. What are you using? The gouache isn't melting together the way I need it to. And I know that oil is the way to go, but I'm, I'm not there with the oils and I'm using acrylic and I have tons of paint. So like, there's no reason for me to not experiment with acrylic for right now. And it has, I can feel that my volume is really low because I'm using like really pale paint, but I know (laughs) that everything will dial up at some point. I'm just, I feel like I'm, my feet are just in, in the water, you know, at the shore. So that's what's going on on the easel. And it was, there was paintings all over the floor in here and it felt wonderful. I mean, everywhere is the easel. Not to abandon my, my abstract detour, but I totally plan to continue with Lemon Latitude because I know that I want to keep painting in a representational way. And I love that project so much. And I had an awesome interview with Tori, who you know from a yarn retreat. She goes by Wide Angle Mind on Instagram. Oh, okay. Sure. Yes. And she has been incredible for me with Okinawa. She spent a lot of time, like her formative years in Okinawa and, and had so many wonderful things to share with me about it. And we chatted for like two hours the other night about all kinds of things that I, that I would have missed if I hadn't been able to speak with her. 
And so that kind of connection, I think we both got a lot of delight out of it. And I'm just really appreciative that people are playing along with that project with me and it will continue to unfold. Sounds good. Yeah. So thank you for listening about my art detour. I think that's exciting. (laughs) Thank you. Did you want to talk about the serger at all? Oh yeah. I forgot. I got detoured. (laughs) Let's do another one. I received a serger for Christmas, which was really fun. You've been debating that for years. I have been debating it for years and there was really only one right choice for me because I just wasn't sure. I have used a very high-end fancy serger of a friend and the thing requires an advanced degree in mechanical engineering to thread and I would get so frustrated with it. So I think a key thing for me was to find one that was going to be easier to thread. And so I finally put new thread in my new serger, which is a Brother 1034D. I'm looking at it right now. It's all covered in lint because I made a sweatshirt, a linden sweatshirt, which is a really popular sweatshirt pattern, super cute raglan sleeve sweatshirt. And then I made a pair of Ponte, like a pull-on pant, which they still have to be hemmed and I need a wider elastic for the waist. They were fabulous. I can't wait to wear them around. The serger, I mean, well, having created two garments, I made myself thread it. You know, I know sometimes when I'm sewing, I will just use the same thread just to keep going. But I made myself change the thread out several times with the two projects, just so I would get practice threading the serger. And I, I'm pretty happy with, yeah, I think I've got it figured out. It makes such a professional finish. I'm delighted with it. And were I not on this, like, I totally forgot about the serger thing until you mentioned it, because (laughs) I am so thrilled and like working through this art thing but yeah now I have more paint clothes (laughs) I am so I am so bad about I just wear the same pants in the studio because I get paint on them all the time and I mean not super painty and gouache washes out but acrylic does not right so I guess I should just wear an apron and call it good I don't know making pants sounds fun making pants was surprisingly easy. I was terrified how that would, um, what it would yield if they would fit. I think a huge part of this is that the Ponte fabric is gorgeous and forgiving. It's just smooth and lays down nicely and it's good stuff. Excellent. All right. On the table. I have been cooking. (laughs) (laughs) That is exciting. Yeah, I am definitely, I got to say, hitting a slump or continuing my slump. I just, I'm not feeling inspired. So having things like grain of the month has been helpful because it gives me some structure to when I'm planning or when I'm thinking because we still have pasta night on Mondays. And now it's like, all right, what am I going to make with quinoa this week? Because that is, that is the grain of February. And I almost forgot because I did, I did it the first 
week. I forget what I did last time. I did something. I think it was something pretty simple. And then I kind of forgot. And my weekend meals were, I think my note was chicken and stuff. (laughs) So my plan was just like, all right, I'm going to buy some chicken and I'll figure out what I have around the house and throw it all together. And then either we recorded or I was doing the show notes and I was like, oh, I forgot about quinoa. So I decided to to make that work with the chicken. And what I found was a recipe from Bird in the Hand by Diana Henry, which is a whole book of chicken recipes, which is pretty fabulous. And I don't get to use it very much anymore, but I did find a chipotle griddled chicken salad with chorizo and quinoa, which you might say, that doesn't sound very vegetarian and you would be correct. So I did a lot of messing with that pattern. Pattern, it's not a pattern. I mean, it is kind of, it's a recipe, it's a pattern, it's very similar. So I chicken Synony- thighs. Synonyms. Yes. But chicken <clears throat> thighs and I cooked them separately, which you did anyway. And I didn't, you were supposed to rub them with chipotle paste, which I wasn't entirely sure what she meant by that. And I have one child that is not super spicy and I'm not super spicy. So I cooked half of them with just salt and pepper. And the other one, I put some chipotle powder on them as well as a salt and pepper. So that kind of gave it a little bit of something, something. And then I had some leftover veggie chorizo sausages. So we used that and that was Simon's main protein. And then the rest of it was vegetarian. So it was the quinoa and lettuce, although it was supposed to be baby spinach. And I had planned to use the arugula that we got in our produce box, except that I forgot and I used it all up the night before. So luckily I had some romaine hanging around, which is definitely a different vibe from spinach or arugula, but it worked out. You didn't even really make a dressing. You kind of threw some balsamic and oil in there. So overall, it was pretty, you know, it was bits and pieces and assembling. I think there was avocado and whatnot, you know, to give it that kind of Spanish feel or Mexican feel, I guess. So it was pretty good. It was interesting, though, because I had the the chicken and the sausages cooked separately. So I kind of put those on people's plates and then brought the salad. I actually did a kind of a on a platter and brought it to the table and let people serve themselves, but then they didn't really understand it was all supposed to be mixed together. So they all ate everything separately. Even though I was mixing it all together, they did not understand, but whatever. It got eaten. It was delicious. And then last night we had a quinoa and bean salad from the Rancho Gordo vegetarian cookbook. It was quinoa and I think I used eye of goat beans, which are kind of a a reddish bean from, these were actually from Chili Smith. So Do they have a rectangular pupil? Is that why they're called? I, I think so. Yeah. And then some shredded carrots and romaine lettuce again. And then you sprinkle pumpkins, toasted pumpkin seeds on the top at the end and avocado if you have it, which we did not. The key thing here is that you also slather it in a yogurt and cilantro and lime sauce. Yum. Sauces are the best. This like made it and we still had a bunch left over. So that part was really exciting. I mean, the beans were, the beans were a nice different flavor. The quinoa was good, but having that green sauce was just nice and bright, which, you know, is really good contrast with the quinoa and the beans. And yeah, every time I find a sauce, I'm like, yes, sauces are the way to go. Sauces, dressings, dips. So key. So that was good. And then, uh, yeah, we will see what happens next time. And then can we talk cakes? 
Cakes Absolutely. I made a hazelnut gateau with Nutella whipped cream, which... Well, it was, you know, it's Nutella month, so... <laughs> it was actually Nutella day, yes, was why I did it. The cake, I've done it as an almond cake. It's from Simple Cake by Odette Williams, which I'm, I've talked about before. It's an almond cake recipe, and she suggested swapping out the almond flour for hazelnut flour and serving it with Nutella whipped cream because hazelnuts. I thought that sounded pretty delicious. Although I didn't think the Nutella would whip into the cream, but it did. And it was fabulous, really good. So I would recommend adding some Nutella to your whipped cream if you feel it's appropriate. Or, you know, just do that and just eat the Nutella whipped cream. That was pretty good. <laughs> I am still working my way through Snacking Cakes by Yossi Arefi. This week I went with the chocolate cakes and for Valentine's Day, I made a cocoa yogurt cake with a strawberry glaze. Yum. Yeah, it was, it was, it was less awesome than I had hoped. I don't know why. I think the one that I made before that was actually better. And then I had two packages of freeze dried strawberries and that's what you make the berry glaze with. So it was like, I think you did a raspberry one. Mm-hmm. for your scones so same thing but freeze-dried strawberries and I knew one of the packages was opened and so they had gotten kind of mushy but I thought the other one had not been opened but no someone opened the other one so they were both mushy so that was frustrating so I got a little bit of powder out of it but not really enough strawberries so I don't think I had that super contrast but it was a nice dark chocolatey cake and the other one was a chocolate almond olive oil cake with raspberries so it had some almond flour in there and olive oil as the fat. And that one used, I think that part, mm, did that have yogurt in it as well? I don't know, but that one had fresh raspberries sprinkled in it, which that is my favorite kind of cake is that chocolate and, and red fruit deliciousness. So that was, <laughs> that one went really fast. The cocoa yogurt cake actually lasted more than a day because I made it for Valentine's day because it had the pink glaze, but you know, there was so much other sweet stuff going around that that actually lasted a little bit longer. Not a bad thing. Yeah. That's kind of what's been, been the highlights for me. Okay. How about you? Well, we had, um, there was a football game. There oh was yeah. A football game. The last time before we, between us, between our chats and the, the tradition around these parts is that Buffalo chicken ring which is a complete straight up off the package of the Pillsbury Crescent roll, I think. And I have been trying to extract out some of the chemicals from this ordeal. So this year I made my own Crescent dough Mm. and it, it was awesome. So good. So, so good. When we finally get the great American bake off, you so need to be on there. No, I don't, because I can't do breads. I will tell you why in a minute. But anyway, <laughs> the cre- the crescent dough, it was worth it. It was easy. It made a beautiful dough. And also... Good lamination? Um, it's more of a rough puff, Monica. Oh, okay. That's fine. <laughs> but it also, you could eat an, a portion of it and not have a bellyache, which I would get a bellyache if I ate the normal... Sorry, Pillsbury, but that's just how it goes. So this is an 
a fantastic recipe that I can't wait to share with people and don't be afraid of it and go for it. It was perfect. And because I thought I was just on a roll here with the dough, I tried to make sourdough pizza crust, which was a complete failure. complete. So all of my confidence about the crescent dough went out the window because I failed at sourdough. I don't know what I did wrong. I know that the sourdough was active and fine. It also called for yeast and perhaps, although I checked the yeast and it was active and fine too, but maybe it just needed more because it had, I don't know. I don't know what I did wrong. Maybe it was the weather. Perhaps. It was like cookie dough. It wasn't bread dough. Mm. And maybe I didn't need it long enough, but I felt like I needed it forever. Maybe I over needed it. I don't know. So you just need to practice or just buy it. Um, Then I have a, a public service announcement and a funny story. The public service announcement is that husbands do not know the difference between waxed paper and parchment paper. That is my public service announcement, which we will come back to when I tell about books. Anyway. Okay. Yeah, I know, right? Anyway. I had a ton of bananas and I needed to make a banana bread. We had gotten a a recommendation from a friend and I thought that it was Smitten Kitchen. So I went ahead and made the Smitten Kitchen ultimate banana bread which calls for five bananas. That's wow. a lot of banana in a banana that bread. Is And it like I is, usually do too. Me too, normally. Um, so this was heavy on the banana. I made this bigger? beautiful... No. It's still, it's it's still in the love pan? Wow. It's banana. It's wow. really banana-y, not a lot yeah. of sugar. Okay. Um, it's a pretty wet mixture as are most banana breads. No milk in it. Mine call, My other one calls for milk made up this banana bread in the evening, like shortly after dinner, let it bake and figured we'd have it for breakfast the next day. Cause I, I had to get rid of these bananas. They were all gone at the same time. And so I had a little piece of it from, I hate the ends of banana bread. So I like cut in a slice and dug in and got a little piece out more to make sure that it wasn't raw because it was a different recipe than I was used to. And I gave Adam a little piece of it and he declared it great. And then I went upstairs into the art room and whatever, lost all kinds of time painting. And when I went down, the house was asleep and I went into the kitchen to like cover up the banana bread because it had cooled by that point. Not only had it cooled, but it was two thirds gone. This is like my house. Uh Uh-huh. And so... I mean, you can't just leave banana bread roaming free. Well, God forbid you have breakfast like it was yeah. intended. Yeah. So I was sort of huffy about it because I wanted <laughs> it for breakfast the next day. And I climbed up the stairs and got into bed and Adam was already in there and he had just turned off his light. So he was still awake. And I said, I blamed a kid. And I said, he ate two thirds of that loaf of banana bread. I won't even say which kid a lot allowed here. He knows who he is. And so (laughs) Adam didn't say anything. He just rolled over. And then I heard him say he might've had a little help. And so I was still kind of huffy about it. It's a lot of banana bread. So the next day 
I come downstairs and I'm still mad because now none of us have banana bread for breakfast because I don't eat the ends <laughs> and there's like one slice. So I was still blaming it on the kid who was asleep. <laughs> and so Adam says, um, I don't even know if he had any. <laughs> he had eaten it. The entire so thing? Practically. Wow. So when... So when the kid came down and I said, you know, I'm really upset that you ate all of that. And I knew the story. I knew the story, but I was just giving him a bad time. I said, I'm really upset that you ate all of that banana bread last night and only left like one slice. And he was like, it wasn't me. <laughs> like, he was all <laughs> upset about it. And I said, and your father was going to let you take this. <laughs> so. Uh, the Smitten Kitchen banana bread recipe apparently is apparently good. excellent. You wouldn't know because you oh didn't get word. any. That's a lot of bread. That's a lot of banana bread story. That's it. That's all I've That's been making. That's a lot of bananas. I st- I'm still, I'm still, uh-huh. I'm going to It's to... a lot of banana. It's a lot of bananas, but it's a really dense banana forward recipe. Well, yes. It's a lot of banana bread for one person to eat. And yeah. Like, three hours i mean i can see why you would suspect a teenage boy because that's a certain that's the sort of thing they would do hollow leg exactly two of them really so on the nightstand all right so my first book i was excited about i had been wanting to read this one for a while and then i realized that it had been translated so check new year's resolution very exciting so this is before the coffee gets cold by toshikazu kawaguchi it was translated by Jeffrey Trusolo. It's a small little book, Japanese. And there is apparently a second one. So I don't know when I'll be able to get my hands on that because this one just came out in the US, I think. Um, so it is about a little cafe in Japan. And I forget what the town is, where if you sit in a certain seat and they serve you special coffee, you will be transported back in time. But you cannot leave the seat. You won't leave the cafe but you can go back and meet someone that had been at the cafe before. The trick is you have to finish your cup of coffee before the coffee gets cold um, so that you can come back to your own time. Otherwise you'll be trapped there. So this is really simple premise, but really beautiful story. The relationships between the people who want to go back in time and who they want to meet. So it's all these couples, uh, not necessarily romantic. There's two sisters as well. There are some romantic couples and the reasons for going back and what they want to accomplish and their conversations and their brief conversations, right? I mean, it does not take that long for coffee to cool down. So it's just really beautiful. It's four little stories within the cafe and there's there's the life of the cafe going on around as well. It was, it was really nice. The first one is kind of simple and then they get progressively more emotionally difficult. So the whole arc of it is, is really well done. And again, it's a pretty pretty short book. I don't know if it's even 200 pages. So I really like that one. I'm so glad I finally got to read it. And that's Before the Coffee Gets Cold by Toshikazu Kawaguchi. And then another short book, Red at the Bone by Jacqueline Woodson, which you just read. Oh my gosh. Amazing. So good. Yeah. So glad that I finally picked this one up. This is the story of a Black family living in Brooklyn. Kind of starts around turn of the century this current century, I still think of turn of the century as the 1900s, which is not true anymore. (laughs) 
you think I'd be into that by now. Anyway, and kind of goes back and forth in the history. The narrator or the point of view rotates between all the various family members. There's grandparents and parents and a daughter and her boyfriend. And yeah, so it's all of their, their relationships and the family struggles and all the things they've been through. And you get everybody's point of view and their internal life and their connections. And I was pretty blown away. And then I'm kind of excited to discover she's been writing for years and has quite a back catalog. And so I'm, I'm looking forward to diving into to some of that because it was, it was really beautiful. I'm glad you liked it. I adored it. And I had two audiobooks. Ah, this one you will also recognize, The Wife Upstairs by Rachel Hawkins, which is the Jane Eyre retelling. Although I say it's Jane Eyre meets Gone Girl. So there's that. I think I that's expecting. fair. That's a fair. Yeah. Although then I was thinking, because I was sort of at the beginning of it, I was kind of frustrated. So it's, gosh, what is it? Oh, the girl's name is Jane. <laughs> you think I'd be able to remember that. And she's working as a dog walker in this Tony suburb in Alabama. And she meets Eddie Rochester walking his dog. They get together and she moves in and there's all, and his wife has died a couple of years ago, or has she? So it's very kind of dramatic and there's secrets and what's going on. And, you know, it's kind of a, a poppy kind of book. So at the beginning, I was kind of frustrated with that because I think Jane Eyre, a classic right it's you know beautiful writing great descriptions all that stuff but then like it's hitting all the plot points Jane Eyre is kind of, is kind of a poppy thriller right like there's a wife hidden in the attic so that kind of made me feel better about the whole thing and kind of I think I think what's creepier about Jane Eyre though is that it's a big old house and there's atmosphere everywhere and you think that it's haunted and yeah, with, there is more with the wife upstairs. I pictured kind of like a cookie cutter construction, like how mysterious can it be? You know, that true. Yeah. It's less, it's less, less Gothic for sure right. way, but yeah, but so that was fun. And I listened to that and the narrator did a good job. I thought, so that was the, the two voices she was doing were, were pretty distinguishable. Right, because you listened to it as well, I think. No, I read it. Oh, you read it. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Skim read it. Well, yeah. <laughs> There's not quite as much depth in the writing. But yeah, so that was fun. And then I listened to Still Life by Louise Penny, which is the first in her Inspector Gamache series. It's a mystery. Have you ever read her? Any of these books? I have read one or two, but it's been a while. Yeah, I've been just hearing about them from so many places and they were kind of on my backlist. And then it was another guest on what should I read next? And this was a book that wasn't for them. I was like, well, now I have to check it out and see what I think. So I love that about you. That's so generous because sometimes, because I feel, you know, whenever <laughs> they say that, that that book wasn't for them, I feel so bad for the author. Like I could never go on that show. And it's so hard for me to not recommend a book here. <laughs> uh, well, you know, I think because she, part of it is that she frames it as it's not a book. It used to be a book that you hate. It used to be three books you right. loved and one you hated. And she has changed it to a book that was not for you because right. there have been books that have been people's favorite books and books that are people's least favorite books. And we've disagreed about books. I've had books that I have loved and you have not talked about because you haven't finished them because you dislike them so much. 
which yeah. is totally fine. And I've heard so many people love Louise Penny. So I really was like, yeah, okay. And it's a mystery. I think I like mysteries on audio because for the most part, they're not, it's not really about the characters the or the writing. Or, yeah. So I can just kind of have it going. I can pay attention, but I don't have to be fully enveloped in, in what's going on. So this one takes place in uh, suburbs of Montreal. So there's also all this lovely boulangerie and they have cafe au lait and croissant. And it's just, I really like that part. So it's a little town in Canada and an older woman is found dead in the wood outside her home with an arrow hole through her heart. And it's the beginning of hunting season. So everyone kind of thinks it's been an accident, except that no arrow is found. So Inspector Gamache is called in, secrets and whatnot, and mysteries and red herrings. And yeah, I, def- I liked it. And I think what they had said about it was that you can kind of tell it's her first book and you can see the author kind of working through her process a little bit. And there were definitely Ooh, parts of it I, where... <laughs> that excites me. Yeah. So there were parts of it where I was like, why is that here? I, that doesn't really make sense. But overall, I liked the story. I liked the characters. I've just started the second one. So I'm kind of getting to know the series. I'm not sure how many of the characters other than the inspector are going to be there through the series. And he's there. He's almost not the lead character. I mean, he he's the detective, but there's all these other people who felt more central to me. So it'll be interesting to see how it how it goes on. But yeah, I liked it. It's, it was good to, to throw in my ear and have, have going on. And then another mystery-ish kind of thing, The Guest List by Lucy Foley. Did you read this one? I did. Yeah. I, bar- I borrowed that one from one of our listeners from Stephanie in Sonoma. She lent me a little stack of books in the summertime. Nice. It took me forever to return okay. them to her. But I really liked that book. Yeah. I'm reading a lot about Ireland right now too. So yeah. So this one was, yeah, this one was fun. I had read her previous book, The Hunting Party a few weeks ago, and then this one came up. So I was like, oh, I need something light. So I threw it on there. So this takes place at a wedding on an island off the coast of Ireland. All very fabulous. And someone ends up dead, but you don't know who. So you're trying to figure out both who got murdered and who the murderer is. And it's on an island, so it's obviously a very closed environment. There's a storm going on. Nobody can get to them. Uh, lots of secrets. And, you know, everyone seems so lovely. But then all these things are going on in the background. So very similar to The Hunting Party. So that one is fun if you want kind of a nice juicy mystery. And you're, I do like her shtick of having you don't know who is murdered and you don't know why or, you know, any of that. So that that's kind of fun as well. Good atmosphere good atmosphere in that one too with fog and weather and storms and rain and yep and it was very very satisfying I thought yeah although the ending was kind of abrupt actually but anyway that was a little odd and then I read Burn for Me by Ilana Andrews which is actually a husband and wife the cover makes it look like it's a super hot romance and it's really more of a thriller kind of fantasy adventure, not even a thriller, a fantasy adventure book, I would say. So it's a world like ours, but in the 1860s, someone invented a serum that brings out your magical powers. So it kind of spread throughout the world. And then they realized, oop, that might have been a bad idea because all of the powerful families with the super magic have taken over 
being in charge. And now everything is based on how powerful a magician you are. So our heroine, Nevada Baylor, is uh, a private detective. And her power is that she can tell when people are lying, which is very useful if you're a private detective. Um, But she hasn't told anybody outside of her family because the government would want her to be an interrogator. And she doesn't want to do that. So she is sort of coerced into searching for the bank robber, fire starter, son of a powerful family. She gets involved with this other super powerful, hot magician. Many shenanigans ensue. But reading it was like reading a Marvel movie. All these great action adventure scenes. You've got a strong female heroine. There's a little bit of romance. And it's the beginning of I don't even know how many books are in this series. It seems to be going on for a while. I think they're on number five now. So I don't, I don't know when they're going to actually get together, although they're, they're clearly into each other. But they, they both have some personal issues to work, work through before they can have a satisfying resolution. But uh, for a fantasy adventure, it was pretty, pretty fun. I enjoyed that one. And then another romance, This Time Next Year by Sophie Cousins. Minnie was born one minute past midnight. 1990 and missed out by like 30 seconds of being the first new year's baby in london the other baby was at the same hospital and got the name she was supposed to have for various reasons and so her mom has said she's always had bad luck and she tries to avoid going out on new year's eve because bad things happen to her on her and it's her birthday she finally it's her 30th birthday new year's eve she meets the guy that stole her name, and they start talking. Shenanigans ensue. It's a really sweet book. So it's so it is a romance book. You kind of figure they're going to get together, but there's a lot about her life and her family. And you pop back in time, and you see how their two lives have constantly been crossing, and they haven't realized it. And she's kind of working on becoming her own person. It was really sweet. There was a lot of really nice emotional content but not too, nothing too dramatic or heart-wrenching. Just nice. Um, that was This Time Next Year by Sophie Cousins. And then the final one is The Last Equation of Isaac Severy by Nova Jacobs. Our heroine's grandfather has just died and she was adopted into this family and they're all math geniuses and she is not. She runs a bookshop in Seattle. But her grandfather has sent her... That's relatable. <laughs> Uh, So her grandfather, before he died, sent her a letter saying he needed her to find his last equation and destroy all of his work, but give the equation to this guy who she's never heard of. So the book is kind of her trying to figure out where this equation is, and she's got to follow all these clues. So it's kind of a mystery. And then there's all this family drama going on. So not a super heavy book, but there's some there's a lot of other things going on besides her hunt for the the last equation. So that one was pretty fun as well. Fun. Yeah. It was a good stack. It was. Yeah. The weekends I can get through a, a goodly amount of reading. So yeah. Especially a rainy weekend. And a long weekend at that. How about yeah. you? You said you had some good books. I did. I had a, a big stack of fiction and rather Irish leaning the second half of it. I read Outlawed by Anna North. And this one, I think people will, if this is a new, a new book. Yeah, um, I've heard about that. 
Yeah, it's fun. It takes place in 1894 in the Old West. Ada is the main character. She's married off at like 17. She's cool with it. Her mom is a, a midwife and she plans to learn her mom's trade. After a year or so, she is not pregnant. And that is just unheard of. She's fine with it, would have happily stayed in place, but there's a suspicion that she's a witch. And, and it's not like Massachusetts witchery. It's, it's its own brand of Wild West witchery. And so she's banished or has to run, I think, from her community. And she joins up with this via a convent. She hooks up with a band of outlaws. I don't want to say too as much one about does. <laughs> as one does. She wants to learn the craft of midwifery, but she also really wants to figure out why some people are barren and not just women, but men too. And she really wants to do the, she wants to know, she wants to understand it and take away the stigma of it. And it is a, if this can be said about a gender issue old west fertility novel it's a romp it's fun it it gallops it's so good the pace of it is great the writing is great and it's quite believable and i think it some of it's probably true <laughs> i mean i don't know about all of it but so add that out- one to the list yep outlawed i have it for you oh perfect yeah because that sounded like my kind of weird yeah, it totally you're kind of weird. Plus it's fun. Yeah. Then I read The Four Winds, the new Kristen Hanna. Amazing. It's so good. Very well researched. This this takes place during the 20s and after the Great Depression. And it's really focused on the Dust Bowl migration out of that pocket that really was affected. Anyway, she's in Texas. She comes from a very well-to-do family, but at a young age, they just declare her too homely to marry anyone. No one will ever love her. And they are horrible. And she lands in the arms of this Italian boy who gets her pregnant and he reluctantly marries her. And she is just like, blossoms on his family's farm in Texas. They have this, you know, this life, they have their baby and then another, and she really bonds with his parents. I don't want to tell too much about this, but I'm so excited about this book because she is a really strong character. And I want, I want everyone to know about this time period and, and then what the migration. So during the Dust Bowl, many families had to just abandon their farms and lives because there was like feet of dust blown into them and nothing would grow and they were starving. The government didn't really provide a lot of support. They were buying cattle to feed the the population, but it just wasn't enough. There's no water. There was um, a particularly bad outbreak of um, dust uh, pneumonia. And so in order to save her kids, she, they leave that area and they go West to California. And this was a time period. I, I'm not 
California raised. So I didn't know this particular piece of California history, what it was like for those Midwestern immigrants, you know, those refugees or whatever the right word is, those displaced people to come to California and have to start again. And they were they were really discriminated against and it was made for a super hard life. I tell you what, she did her homework here because this book is like impeccably researched. And I was so interested in so many pieces of it that I was looking up different phrases and, and not battles, but like union there, there were like union labor disputes going on. And there's a lot because it was in the 1930s. This is when, when Dorothea Lang was photographing, it wasn't just migrant workers, but you know, these are other Americans who were really hard on their luck. And so there's a lot of really interesting photography from that period. And I think there's a photo archive in Sacramento that has a lot of her work in it. And I looked through that online and was just, I was really blown away. So this was a really moving, beautiful book. And I think important. I mean, also it's 450 pages, but you flew through them. It's a page turner. Very great. Then I had another book. It's called The Removed by Brandon Hobson. And this one is modern day. It's the story of a family who lost a son to police gun violence. He was mistakenly shot by a police officer and they're really grieving. This is, this was kind of hard for me to read, but it, there are interjections of these Cherokee folklore stories. And I kind of wish that those parts I could hear the audio version of, because I feel like it's all spoken word, you know, that story tradition, this, the spoken word tradition. And I think it would have been cool way to access the book, but a, you know, a beautiful story about a family that's struggling with their grief and memory. And again, a a little bit hard for me right now, but um, I think that the, the Cherokee voice is really compelling. So that's Brandon Hobson, the removed. Then I read, remember I was talking about Ask Again, Yes, the Mary Beth Keene. It was so extraordinary audiobook. I went back in her uh, to see what else she had written. And I picked up The Walking People, which was is maybe 15 years old. It is exquisite. It is so good. It's just oh, wow. as good as, as um, Ask Again, Yes. Totally different, but she's just, she just has this really fabulous sense of humor that she interjects with real life and, and her characters are fully realized. And, uh, I was so happy that this book was incredibly rewarding to read. This takes place in 1950s Ireland on along the West coast in a town called Ballyrowan. And it's like one of the last towns in Ireland to get their electrification. You know, they're trying to sell everybody on light switches in their house and they're not doing a very good job sell- selling it because everybody thinks they're going to get electrocuted in their sleep. And it's, it's just, there's some, del- some delight, some tragedies, but it's this 
moving story of a woman who grows up there and she and her sister decide to leave Ireland and go to America. They have like one tiny little connection in America and they get over to America and they've been accompanied by a boy that they had seen a few times growing up. His name is Michael and her name is Greta. Michael's family is the walking people, which is, I don't, I can't pronounce anything in Gaelic, but it's the population of nomadic people who walked around Ireland and did tinkering and sold their wares. They were called tinkerers, but that's kind of a derogatory term. They were kind of nomadic. And Michael does not want to be nomadic anymore. It's just not, it's not satisfying to him. And so when he hooks up with these two sisters, he has visions of a different life. And there's giant family secret happening that is heartbreaking and beautiful. And I just, I loved every single minute of reading this book. It was just great. And then the library rewarded serendipity and had This is Happiness ready for me by Niall Williams, which also takes place in the Western part of Ireland during electrification. Who knew it was a a subgenre? I know. This is all about light bulbs and switches. And the lights kept going out in the wedding party. So yes, they do have some problems with their electricity in Ireland and it's because of the wet. (laughs) Well, this is happiness needs to go on anyone's to be read list. If it's not there already, because holy catfish, this was a delight. And it's, I mean, I love the, I, I loved the walking people. I loved Four Winds. This is Happiness was really happy, (laughs) which I so need. I don't know about you. The prose of this book is so extraordinary that I cannot say enough good things about it. I can't wait to read his other books. This is the first time I've read Niall Williams. The characters are Irish through and through. They say the funniest things, and it sounds like remnants of grandparents' past. It is, oh, there's a, there's a scene when the, the house help is putting wax paper on the stovetop, like they would wax paper the stovetop to like keep it clean, which made me laugh because my husband put wax paper on a sheet pan and then put it in the oven. Yeah. Goodbye, sheep pan. So there's just so many delightful things about this book. It focuses on Noel, who goes by No, and he is with his grandparents in Faha, which is just south of the Dingle Peninsula, which is where my husband's people are from. And it is like a no man's land little town, the last part of Ireland to get their electrification. They buy these telephone poles from Finland and they're, they hire a new crew every time they go through a town and then they try to sell all the townspeople on it. And Noel's grandparents are not having it. They are delighted that the rest of the town wants their electricity, but they are not going there. They have a phone, 
but they don't want the electricity. And it's just comical, this cast of characters. From the minute you enter the book, you are there. You are in Faha. You feel the rain, all 77,000 types of it. And you meet all of these characters. And it is like visiting Ireland. Reading this book is like visiting Ireland. It's delightful. So this is happiness. Niall Williams. Great book. Wow. That was quite a fortnight for you. Totally. I have been burning the the midnight itty bitty book light. (laughs) I love when I remember to charge that in the mornings when it's starting to go dim. And then I climb in bed and think I got a good four hours on this guy. Not that I read for four hours a night, but, but you you could, I could, Yep, I could. Yeah. See, that's the beauty of the Kindle. You got to charge the Kindle too, don't you? Yeah. But it lasts forever. I leave the the Wi-Fi off. So it lasts a long time. Because oh, it's not pro tip. Yes, I keep it on uh, keep it on airplane mode, so it's not constantly updating. Updating, and yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah, I mean, I do have to charge it, but not not that often. It occurs to me that I didn't really even tell the love stories, the parallel love stories that are happening, and there's so much going on, and this is happiness. But I'm just gonna leave it, let it lie, because. <sighs> everyone needs it's to go so read good. it cool yeah it's so good it might be slow for some people maybe they don't care about ireland but i very much care about ireland so i loved it <laughs> excellent yeah all right that's then. it that's all i have for you like glowing book recommendations and a reminder that parchment paper is not wax paper <laughs> that is key very important public service announcement mm-hmm. yeah all right Well, until next time, make sure to do something you love every day. Thanks, everyone. Bye. Show notes can be found at craftcookreadrepeat.podbean.com. You can find us on Instagram as craftcookreadrepeat or courtneysf, that's C-O-R-T-N-E-Y-S-F. On Ravelry, I'm Magdon, M-A-G-D-O-N. And if you have any questions or comments, email us at craftcookreadrepeat at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.